The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Hey, I'm so glad you guys are here. We're starting a, we started a series uh, Easter last Sunday called uh, Wonder. And last week we looked at the, the wonder of the resurrection. I'm going to flip to my thing here. And so we'll look at a couple of other, you know, concepts of the idea of wonder. What I mentioned last uh, Sunday, for those of you who weren't here, and I know who you are, the, um, that we talked about um, that wonder and, like, awesome are these words that are so overused. We don't really, we don't even use them anymore to really explain how we feel, like when we're actually moved by something amazing. So as I, I pointed out, for example awesome would be the idea of something that is awe-inspiring, almost to the point where there isn't words to articulate what you're experiencing. But now, you know, hot dogs are awesome, you know, this car is awesome, you know, this, this Ed Hardy shirt is awesome, it's not. And then, um, um, and so, and even the word wonder is like, wow, wonderful, something that actually takes you to a place that's, um, you know, it's, it's almost uh, spiritual and mystical. Have you been in those moments, maybe it's a piece of art or music, a concert? You know those places, you talked about this, like you can get so moved by a piece of music, it, like, it actually takes you to another place, right? It's not just enjoying it. And there are pieces I've shared with people that um, without wanting to, it actually moves you to a place of emotion and beauty that you actually begin to weep at it because it's so beautiful. And there's that, you've experienced a moment of wonder. I've also pointed out last Sunday that there are those moments that, um, a moment of wonder is probably the closest you're going to get to a religious experience. And what we mean by that is that wonder and worship, to use an old fashioned word, are almost the same thing. The difference is that with worship, you're, you're associating this or connecting to a person. This means that, see, whether or not you're, you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus or a Christian or whatever you want to call that, how you, know, how, you, how you call yourself as a person who's trying to practice the teachings of Jesus and imitate his lifestyle. Wonder if for you, if you're not that person, means that you can be amazed at a site, at a piece of art, at a piece of music, at a place... Um, maybe even over, the, over a relationship, but, but you're not able to connect it to somebody in terms of being thankful or, or, or this, this person gave this as a gift to me. And for a person who, who is a God follower, that's, and this isn't better or, or, or bad. It's just, this is how it is, right? <clears throat> if you're a God follower, then you're connecting that moment to somebody else bigger and outside of the experience. So today... Ironically, we're looking at nature, and I was, you know, I recall when the campus pastors were talking about maybe just different themes we should consider, you know, the wonder of nature, I'm like, wow, I'm going to have a tough time, you know, I'm, I, I don't know how to begin to address this, but coming up will be uh, peace and rest and power and force and mystery, the unknown, forgiveness and love, I think that'll be an interesting talk, and beauty and worship. What I like to do right now is read Psalm 8, so if you don't have a Bible, it should be up on the screen. Here's what it says. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Your beauty, your, your wonder that we can see in the heavens. And through the praise of children and infants, you have established the stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, 
what is mankind that you're even mindful of them? Human beings that you care about them or care for them. You have made us a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet. All the flocks and herds, the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So Matt and I are taking a moonlight stroll. Uh, Friday night in the beach. <laughs> Not really. And so, uh, so we're walking down in the dark, and I stumbled on the stairs, and you caught my arm. No, and so, uh, <laughs> gently on the elbow. And so, at any rate, uh, no, so, uh, yeah, because I was a stumbling old fool. And then the, uh, so we, we I, I probably have had, I haven't had that long of a conversation with you about some sort of, of teasing mock insult ever. What was like an hour and a half of just chatting? And uh, the thing was amazing is how your eyes will adjust to moonlight and, and the stones and there was uh, high tide was coming in and uh, just hearing the rush of the ocean. And um, I lost my glasses, so you can pray about, hopefully I'll come across them. It's not a new look. I, I, in fact, I cannot see who I'm talking to right now. I'm hoping the room is occupied. <laughs> but even with my limited vision, it was stunning to see how many stars were in the sky. And I was relating to Matt how as a kid around seven or eight was the first time I left the city uh, for a, a camping trip with the YMCA, Little Green Valley, still remember it. And uh, I recall looking up in the sky, it was up in the San Bernardino Mountains, which I, that I recall, and seeing stars for the, what I thought for the first time. There was almost, uh, it, it almost, uh, it, it did induce a sense of fear in me, like I know, wimp, but it was a, uh, it was just something amazing about I had never seen them. And now for me, when I read this, <clears throat> what's interesting to see this, where this psalm is placed, if you have a Bible, you can kind of flip through it right now, and you, you, know, you don't have to, but you can. The first 14 psalms are almost are like a section of the book of psalms. There's five books in there. The first two begin to introduce the author. He talks about who he is and what his experiences are. But the next five, three through seven, He's, he's asking God to, you know, respond to people who've treated him really poorly and respond to some of the, the darkness and the evil that people have done to him or who they are. And he wants, you know, God, you should lash out towards these people. And what's interesting about the placement of Psalm 8 is, is where it takes a turn where he's also thankful that God has made mankind like he is and I wonder if he was just out in a desert where the sky is dry so that you don't have the haze and if you know his story you know that while he was promised to be a king as a young man it took about 14 years to get there and not only was it a long time just waiting it was a it was a wonder if he would even make it because he was uh, uh, being chased and um, you know just it wasn't good he spent a lot of time in a in a very dry, deserty situation, and I don't know, maybe in a moment of quiet, just began to look up and see things a little differently, uh, experience them a little differently. And so there's five psalms, and in Hebrew, it's actually 64 lines of poetry. And then this, this, this Psalm 8, about how, here's the thing that's interesting. It's almost like, reminds me of the Nelson Mandela quote, that the thing we fear the most is how great we can become. 
is that he positions creation and, and, and then speaking of God, as, uh, I mean, speaking of mankind as well. He, by the way, he's not thinking that we're great. He's thinking that God has made us great. You follow? There's a big, big difference. <clears throat> he positions a psalmate to say, but you made mankind like this. You made them amazing. You made them pretty much freaking godlike, just a little bit lower than angels. And then the next few psalms, <laughs> he'll talk about how bad people are again. And he culminates with Psalm 14, like, you know, only a person who's foolish, if they're really not thinking, can't get to a place of accepting the idea that there's a, there's a God, there's something or somebody, even if it's um, maybe, maybe a step closer, that would be like a designer. So there's, a, there's this counterpoint in, in chapter 8, in Psalm 8. He's congratulating God, he's complimenting God, he's speaking highly of God. This is what we mean when you hear people say, Praise God. We should um, be encouraged to say those things that are true about who he is. That's what it means to praise God for the endowment of the humanity that he's given to each of us. That we can actually experience things that, that some animals cannot. And that doesn't make us necessarily in a sense of arrogance because even when he says he's put all things under his feet, what he's saying is that I'm not making you better so that you can just rape and pillage the planet. I'm giving you charge over the planet to care for it and those animals and everything else that matters in creation. Because, you know, do you ever, um, well, my mom drilled this into my head. Uh, whenever you borrow something or you visit someone's home, you're supposed to leave it better than when you, when you got there, right? If someone lends you a tool, you're supposed to return it in a better condition than you got it, right? That, that's a sign of respect for somebody else's property or things or their place, but that's an easy step for me to consider than how we should leave the planet. Um, yeah, I don't know why we weren't as followers, maybe the first people to push the green movement and we've kind of reluctantly gone along with it. And then I, there's well-meaning good people who I consider my family and God that would think somehow caring about the planet is one step short of worshiping the earth. And I think, I, I don't think so. It's just not ours. It's my father's place. We should care for it, right? How we live and how, what we do. So certainly that in Psalm 8, the, the Genesis creation story is the lens that he's processing this. God is the creator of all things. And he's just sitting there amazed and thinking about it. And as Matt and I were talking and, and hearing the, the constant, you know, roar and rush of the ocean, it wasn't even huge waves. It was just high tide coming in. It, you know, we have hopefully just recently remembered how amazing the power of creation or nature actually is, right? And seeing it in Japan, seeing it recently also uh, closer to home in the Midwest there in Tornado Alley. I mean, a, a, what is it? A type five uh, tornado hurricane? Is it, what's it called? EFI, which is 200 miles an hour, right? Wind. And it was a mile and a half wide. How do you, what do you do with that? I mean, you can't outrun that. I mean, there's, you're done. 200 miles an hour. And this morning I was looking at photos of different sites, before and after photos, and, and uh, yeah, as, as, as amazing as things that we have made and done, in the end, nature wins if it wants to. I tell you what's a wonder, what, hear what makes me wonder about nature? I got brown spots in my lawn, <laughs> right? <clears throat> my wife and I, okay, my wife, she's going to Home Depot, fertilizer, gardening tools, water, Nothing will grow in those, some of those spots in my lawn. 
I have a driveway where grass is going right through the cracks, right through cement. I don't, why is that? That's nature saying, I'll grow what I want to, bro. (laughs) You don't own me. So he stops to think about everything that's going on. And, and you know what? It's not even just the thinking. There's an experience that's happening here that makes it different for him. Um, whether he's seeing the stars, feeling the wind, uh, experiencing and thinking about animals. That has, having been a shepherd, he would understand that if there's land animals that require care and he gets their food and feeding cycle, there's animals I can't even see in the water that are that way. And certainly he was right. And then he begins to process, goodness, if you have made me and you've made this, you, you've done everything, and, and I'm just you know, thinking about your power out here that has spun these planets and the stars. and um, Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And here we are in the midst of it. This is why sometimes I have to remind myself, I, I, don't really, I really shouldn't be afraid of some of the things I'm afraid of. You know, once in a while there's a moment where you're, where you get that paralyzed with fear, you're just, you know, you're so overwhelmed, you're almost paralyzed into indecision. What I should be afraid of is the fact that this blue ball is floating in nothing and moving, you know, rapidly around this fl- other flaming star. That's what should freak me out. It should freak you out as well. But I'm just saying that this is the thing that's really amazing to consider how small it is and how remarkable it is that we're actually here. I recall that uh, my parents, and I've, you've heard me joke about this, uh, the way my parents tried to you know, shove that cultural funnel down my throat with piano lessons and tap dance and ballet. and I was the daughter they never had, and so they... Uh, um, <laughs> going to school with my tutu, it was so hard to see over it. And the thing is, is that... Um, uh, but, and they would take us to museums... And my mom would always ask questions. Oh, what do you see in this painting? You know, what are you experiencing in this moment? And that kind of thing. In fact, uh, for my birthday, uh, my dad worked at the music center. And they uh, took me to a musical. Well, they gave me tickets to go to this musical. It was, um, these names may not mean anything to you. Uh, Lucille Ball in Mame. And um, Carol Channing in Hello, Dolly. Yeah, okay, right. It It was amazing. I was nine. Yeah, and then my dad took me out to, for drinks afterwards. Because, <laughs> you know, he wanted to show me how a man lives. So he ordered something that it was like a caramel-colored drink, but it wasn't fuzzy or fizzy, like a soda. And I got the Shirley Temple. So one of them just got ripped off. But I recall my mom saying how, um, even being in places that art and that kind of thing, but the greatest masterpiece is the human body. Now, she didn't say God. She just said the greatest masterpiece was the human body. Now, of course, since I was thin and not very coordinated, I thought, wow, I, I got ripped off here. Maybe this was the practice. You know, this was the sketch, you know. But it, 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 my, my limited exposure to science and biology began to remind me, wow, that, how is it that, you know, so many infants are even born normal? I mean, you, know, you follow one of the things I remember my mom, when my first son was born, wanted to do, she completely... Un- Why is it about Mexican moms that have to wrap their babies like little tacos? Like, like little cocoons. And so she completely unwrapped them, but it was flipping in the air. And, then, and she was counting all the fingers and took off the diaper. It's all, mom, it's all there. You know? <laughs> and uh, then the mouth, and she goes, isn't this... And I remember this, isn't this amazing how God did this? 
Well, Lily and I were involved, but, you know, yeah. It's, uh, but it, it struck me that, you know, that still happens. And like I said before, it still strikes me that, yeah, we can make people, but women make immortals. And so David, in processing and thinking about this, begins to think, you're this, you're this God who has this much ability and power and this much beauty, this much artistry. And keep in mind that he was more referred to as an artist than an engineer before Newton, as far as God is concerned. But you actually think about us. I, mean, I, I experience you on a personal level. I experience you in, this, in my family, and I experience you in the community of our nation. You have done all of this, animals, nature, the closed water cycle, the way that... The, in fact, he even gives us what we require and don't even know. We require a certain level of consistency and variety. And so we have seasons, you might say. He could have made food all, you know, could have made one big, I don't know, tofu plant for everybody at all times, right? But he allowed us to have the ingredients and the spices so that we could have menudo and curry. Right, exactly. And all the other types of foods. I mean, I mean there's a level of extravagance that is stunning. There's a level of abundance that's surprising. It's almost as if it's unnecessary adornment. And I think maybe in a moment, as David was processing all this, he realizes, wow, you made this even just for our pleasure in some ways. At any rate. So he sees God's beauty in nature. And, and David in this psalm comments on God's beauty in the nature is that he would actually condescend to wish to connect and communicate with us, um, that he gives us, us these amazing abilities. Um, you know, some definitely more talented than others, but think about it. You can actually, we, every single one of you, can imagine something that doesn't exist and make it, make it visible. In fact, uh, the other day, uh, Buddy posted a piece of music up on YouTube or something. It, it was a one-minute piece of music, right? But here's the thing that, that was interesting to consider when we were talking about it, that until he played it and thought about it, it didn't exist before. You follow? Like when women make a pattern, make it, oh, I just made this dress. Like, well, yeah, but it didn't exist before until you made it. You follow? Oh, you know, I, people who can organize things in a home and create a level of beauty, yeah, but that didn't exist before until you made it. You actually have to think of it first, and you made the invisible visible. This is a quality that God has, except in one way, it's out of nothing. And here's another concept to consider as we're considering this, since we're all just talking about this, well, primarily me, that everything, if the scriptures are true, and I believe that they are, everything was made out of nothing. Thought and the actual power and energy of his being makes it happen. Except you and I. Because with you and I, he scooped up dust to form it. And then breathed into it life. Or us life. Our ancestors. It's a kind of, I, I, I wonder how to peel that back, that we're the only things that were not made out of nothing, that there was something material before. And so, like I said, Psalm 8 is this turn from introduction, five poems about, boy, people are bad, you should do something about it. Gosh, people are wonderful, we're amazing, you're amazing for having done this. People are awful, <laughs> again. And it's just right staked in the middle. And so you might say there's our stigma and our, you know, our, our um, I guess our mistake is that we don't recognize that there's a designer involved. And 
We don't see God's kindness in making us aware of that. Romans 1, verses 18 through 20. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. By the way, have you noticed that sometimes when you read this, you always think of somebody else? You know, you figure, anybody who's not here today, it's got to be them, right? Let me suggest to you that, that, that it's, it's the person in your chair and the person up here when we pretend not to know uh, what we know to be true. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Why? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. In other words, just the things that you really couldn't get by God, let's say on paper, what you can see about him is that he has a, a level of power to be able to create and a level of, of uh, his God-like nature is revealed, having been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are, out, are without an excuse. Recently in a theology class, I was reminded of the two books of theology. One of them is, um, is nature, and the other is the scriptures. And that was just a common way of, of understanding how God has spoken to people, that he speaks to people what's known as natural or general theology, nature, and then he speaks to us specifically in Revelation through the scriptures. And uh, not having been a very bright child, uh, I remember thinking if my mom was always driving home the idea of there was order and design and creation, then going out to see stuff and how it worked, especially as I began to understand just your body working and what it does, that there had to be somebody that designed it. I mean, I couldn't, I was very far from the idea that there was this God spoken of in the scriptures, but at least, well, somebody, something, it, did it, it, and, and by the way, I don't, I don't want to sound like some naive bumper sticker thing about evolution. This is not that discussion, okay? This is not that discussion. I'm just telling you my process is that I got to a place for me where looking at nature, it began to dawn on me there was a sense of order to it and not chaos. In fact, taking a step further back, why was it even there to begin with? And take that up further back. Why was I even be able to aware, to think in my head that it was there? Follow? You can see I was a lonely child, right? <laughs> Don't play with Octavia, he's stupid. I'm going to read to you a, a large portion of scripture. Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. I love this. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. In fact, just for a moment, drop any kind of intellectual guard you might have, and, and it's okay to imagine this in your head, like a movie maybe, still, you know, with special effects, THX sound system. And as this poet begins to just unwrap what he's processing in terms of thinking about God's beauty, if it's true, that this is where he's going, okay? All right. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot, rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers and flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundation. It cannot be moved. You have covered it with a watery depth as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. 
But at your rebuke, the waters fled and the sounds of your thunder. They took flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went into valleys to the place that you assigned to them. Now think of this for just a moment. That if, if this is true, what the poet is saying, and, and I get that, I know this is poetry, this is part of that scripture where you can't you know, make this a hard, fast, literal thing here, but that God's assigning the land masses and waters and separated you know, water that's in the sky from water on the planet. And you know, I tie this into Acts 17 where Paul is talking about how he set the times for every nation and cultures and people then by default individuals. In other words, if you're alive right now, as Paul says, this is the optimal moment for you to be alive to actually experience God. If you think, gosh, if I had been alive at this time, if I'd only been, you know, mm-mm. this is right now, according to Paul, if he's, you know, not insane, that this is the optimal moment for you to be alive to experience God. This was the best time for you to be around. Verse 9, you set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field, and wild donkeys quest their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. And the land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for the people to cultivate, bringing food forth from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. The birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the hydrax. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and they lie down in their dens. The people go out to work, to labor until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. The sea, there is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with all creatures beyond number. Living things both large and small. Boy, isn't that true? It's surprising how teeny stuff is that's actually growing, the things that we're finding in the depths of the ocean. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there, all creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send their spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his work. See who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked one no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. You know, I am... I thought there could be moments where we'd show photographs of, you know, beach scenes and mountains and, and all that. And uh, I even had it thinking that would be like an impressive thing. But I began to realize that would probably, for some of us, would not really, like, oh, yeah, it's a nice picture, you know. If you've seen National Geographic once, you've, oh, yeah, that's an amazing scene. I think probably the thing to process is that maybe there is something, yeah, there is, I, I, I I don't find it a coinkydink, which is, you know, junior high for coincidence, that, um, that I had to be 
at a beachy, foresty area the last 24 hours prior to this moment for this talk. Because it was at that place, began to think and hear differently than I hadn't before. If it's true what the, our ancestors have said, that there are two books of theology, one is nature, one the scripture themselves, I wonder if we're missing something. I wonder if I've missed something by insulating myself away from it. You follow? Um, we do everything to avoid most of life, right? Even the way we process our dead. We have an industry that takes care of that. Even when people get a little bit older, we process them differently. There's an industry that takes care of them. Even food, we have people that butcher our food or, or gather it for us. I mean, there's, but in that, we've kind of maybe pulled ourselves away from experiencing what others understood so clearly by having to live in it a little more experientially, you know? And I wonder if we're missing something by not ex- allowing us to experience nature in a way. Um, in fact, someone said just this morning, it was so strange to see you outside, you know, throwing a football. And I, I go, you know, I, I, don't, I don't do it all the time, but I know how to throw a football. You know, I mean, I, I get it. You know? <laughs> the truth is, actually, I was watching somebody who was throwing the ball, and they said, oh, my gosh, that person's got an arm. I said, okay, they're doing this. They're, they're, then they put their hips into it. I can do that, you know. And it worked. <laughs> Like a bullet, man. <laughs> yeah, more like a wobble. God created everything. I think we get that. But it wasn't for some utilitarian need to express himself, you know, as much as it was out of love to give to us. All things were created, for not, created out of nothing except us. And I, I wonder, am I allowing the wonder of nature to pass me up and not experience God through it somehow? Whatever it might be, you know, the beauty of it, the beaches and that kind of thing. And, and I guess the final question to close this moment is, where am I in this? Have I just, you know, put this off to the side? I know I've joked about it all these years. But I, have I just made this thing unnecessary and maybe missing an important conversation with God by closing myself off to the experience of nature and the beauty that what God has done? Hey, let me uh, close with you this moment in, in prayer. Father, you have been good to us in many ways, and we experience you, I think, primarily as, as that personal Savior, personal God. And, and while that is so true, um, it is never meant to be simply a personal relationship. It's meant to be relational with our family, our friends, um, people in the community that we're part of. Maybe it's a work community, maybe it's a social community, maybe it's this particular spiritual community. But you, you, you meant for us to live in connection with you and then with others. Knowing that that connection and the friction that it usually causes or often causes would be the way that you would choose to heal us further. We wish to thank you, Father, for being good to us. That you, as the creator, not only of this wonderful planet, but also the sustainer, if, it, if you choose to make it stop, it would stop working. You are not a God who set it in motion and then walks away. You are intimately, daily involved in the upkeep of our planet. Help us to be people that even in small ways, the way that we handle our trash, what we buy, how we discard of things would be a reminder we need to take care of our planet. Help us think long term instead of so short term, which is so easy for us to do here in the West. I pray for us as... um, that we would be people who would be appreciative of just 
grateful of just all that you've done. And, and when we experience a savory dish or a great refreshing drink or the smell of a certain flower or plant or just the beauty of a well-kept garden and we begin to maybe even wonder at it that we would recall it was you behind it all who made this possible. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.